Hi, I'm David Green, and you're listening to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. As HR leaders and professionals, we are all aware of the current skills shortage challenges that businesses are facing today. But despite this awareness, we are seeing that amidst the economic uncertainty that is currently driving the business landscape, organisations are still cutting costs and reducing headcount, often without considering the long-term implications on their workforce and their business growth. So to help us tackle these challenges and create more adaptable and future-proof workforces, I'm delighted to be joined for this episode by Don Miller, Managing Director at Deloitte's Organisational Design Function, and Jesse Jacks, Senior Manager of Organisational Strategies and Design, also at Deloitte. As leader in Deloitte's organisational design practice, Don and Jesse have a wealth of experience helping companies think more strategically about their workforce to achieve their financial and business goals. That is why I'm excited to learn more about the common mistakes that they see in the market and also delve into their insights on the role of organisational design and workforce planning in helping companies to achieve strategic goals in an uncertain economic climate. So without further ado, let's learn how to create a future-proof workforce. Don, Jesse, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Um, before we dive into the interview, could you please share with our listeners a little bit about yourselves and your roles at Deloitte? And Don, I'll come to you first. Sure. Happy to be here. Thanks, David. Uh, as you said, my name is Don Miller. I have the pleasure of, of leading a few things at Deloitte. I lead a lot of our managed capability as a service offerings. And you may ask what that is. That's really around getting out of traditional projects and really helping clients with boutique areas of expertise like change as a service, or design as a service, actuarial support as a service, program management as a service. For finding these niche skills are usually a little bit lumpy at our clients and we want to be able to help them ongoing. And through that, I have the pleasure of leading our alliance with OrgView and Org Design, and that's how I know Jesse. And Jesse, I'll let, you, I'll let you introduce yourself as well. Thanks very much, David. Pleasure to be here. My name's Jesse Jacks. I'm a senior manager in our human capital organization strategies and design offering um, based here in Los Angeles. I uh, spent my career in organization strategies, thinking model organization design, workforce transition. I've um, been partnering closely with Don, also as a co-lead with our alliance with Boardview. Uh, so pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on. And, and obviously, as you, as you highlighted, this this series of the podcast is, is sponsored by Orgview. Uh, we had Oliver Shaw, the CEO, on uh, two episodes ago, actually, talking about um, some of the the context in, in which they're operating. Um, one thing uh, that so we did talk about with Oliver was the uh, so you know many of the ominous signs and uh, warnings that we've seen around a global economics um, downturn. Um, obviously, in your role, speaking to multiple clients, um, looking to change their organisational health. How do you build a workforce that aligns with both financial and business goals? Uh, and Don, I think you're gonna I think you're gonna this one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and David, you're right. It, it's a it's an interesting time that we're living in. Uh, however, a lot of the you know the signs that we're seeing around unpredictability today aren't unusual. It, what's unusual is just how much of them are happening all at one time. Aftermath of the pandemic, we have war in certain parts of the world. We've got an economic downturn or instability or you know upturn, depending on who you talk to. Uh, you've got the financial institutions under some stress. It's really an interesting time that all of these things are happening at once. 
Uh, but for organizations, when you step back and think about it, there's a lot of things always moving at once for organizations, right? And when we're talking about value, right, and organizational health, we have to think about five key factors. Number one, we need to think about financial health, and that's what the stock market cares about. However, there's also uh, health in product or service value that you deliver, the distribution value, how fast you can get that to folks, the customer experience, and the value that you put in your organization around agility. HR leaders in particular need to be part of that strategic conversation with the business and finance. Now, right now you're seeing a lot of uh, organizations, particularly the tech sector, leading the way around layoffs. At Deloitte, we don't necessarily recommend jumping into abrupt cost cutting. We've seen that again and again throughout the history of uh, of organizations, particularly post-industrial age. What we find, and, and you probably hear this a lot, is it's damaging to employee engagement, morale, and reputation. And two decades of profitability studies show that companies that conduct layoffs that are solely focused on cost-cutting don't necessarily see improved profitability, whether measured by return on assets, return on equity, or return on sales. And this was out of the Harvard Business Review. So what you need to do is align those goals around optimization, whether it's efficiency or effectiveness, not just on the business goals, but what value you're after, those five areas of value I talked about, but also your impact on, on society, right? The, the purpose of the organization, right? The culture of the organization and how you think about corporate responsibility. What's going to be really interesting, uh, both Jesse and I talk about this a lot, is watching to see which organizations have learned from the pandemic, where we really saw a, a merging of companies' purpose, social purpose, with how they do work and how they press through the pandemic, how will that be uh, shown through layoffs or, or other parts of it? And you're already seeing it on LinkedIn or others that companies are setting up sites for folks to find find some of the talent that they couldn't be able to support, but also working to find them other roles. So, you know, what's interesting about that is that that is a good example of agile and adaptable organizations that are doing things not only for their own people, but for people that can't be a part of their organization any longer, whether that's economics or growth or other factors. So, so Jesse, turning to you, you, what would you say is the secret to, to, to looking beyond cost and headcount and, and thinking more strategically about skills, capacity and, and performance? Certainly. So I think if your planning is purely driven by financials, you're really going to be looking only what impacts the budget, which is typically your just cost and headcount. So you want to really start with the mission and what is the work that needs to be done in the organization to deliver on that mission so you can design your organization. So beyond cost and just headcount, what we work with our clients to look across are five dimensions. What is the product or the service utility? So really understanding what is the value of the product or services in the customer's eyes so you can build those skills around that? What's that customer exchange look like? So what is the value of that customer exchange from a resource, from a money, time, energy look like for them? What's that distribution effectiveness? So what is the value of access to your customers? Then what's financial performance look like when it turns into the financial value of the organization's performance? I always tell my clients, you might need to show some cost savings right now, but you're not going to cut your way to growth, right? So we know that maybe in this quarter or in the next, you might be looking at some labor cost reduction. But to Don's point, some of those skills that might be sort of like on the chopping block because they're costing a lot of money, maybe there's another way to access those that we'll talk about a little bit later in terms of a skills-based organization. And then last but not least, that's what we're getting into when we talk about organizational agility. So what is the value of an organization's ability to grow and adapt and evolve? 
And when you look at what's happening on the market right now, specifically in some of these technology firms that you mentioned, um, that's where we see a lot about them thinking through organizational agility. So what are the skills that are required in order to do the work? Capacity isn't just about headcount in a certain team. It's about whether the people with the skills needed to deliver that work are within that organization. How do you access them? Where do they sit? How do you as an HR professional have the ability to look across the organization and truly understand where those pockets of skills or capabilities might exist? Because they might not exist where you think they might uh, from a headcount perspective or on organizational chart. And there's a lot of benefits in taking this type of approach. You invest in your workers' growth, their development, and their mobility. You're also redeploying resources that can potentially alleviate some of the need for further reductions in, in force. So I've seen a number of my clients restructure their organization successfully, at least in part, leveraging this approach to reduce the number of layoffs and taking some of those capabilities and moving them into other areas of the organization. We know, for example, that at Unilever, there's this internal talent marketplace that enables those skills to fluidly move across projects and tasks and within the organization, either as a permanent employee or as a U worker, as they're called, a worker who's guaranteed a minimum retainer along with a core set of benefits and who contracts with them for a series of short-term projects. So we're seeing more and more of a move towards that because, as you mentioned, there's this sort of like real cost containment, margin improvement focus, but there's also this talent shortage and talent crisis. So talent crisis. So how do you sort of like split that needle or thread that needle um, when both of those things seem to be opposing at certain times? Staying with you, Jesse. So in in the, in the current economic climate, how important is speed um, in making important business decisions, and and how would you say businesses should be thinking about this right now? Well, clearly, speed is important, but we want to make sure that our clients aren't acting in haste. As I mentioned, I've had clients in the past do that. We can help anyone hit a twenty percent cost reduction, labor cost reduction, but are you? Are you taking the time to truly understand whether those are the skills or capabilities that are required in your future growth plan? As I mentioned, nobody's going to cut their way to growth in the next couple of quarters. So we spoke earlier about the potential damage caused by abrupt cuss cutting, but think back to the purpose and mission of the organization, which really drives or should drive your decision-making. So we want to make sure that our clients are making decisions quickly by surrounding themselves with the right data on an ongoing basis so they can make calculated decisions at the drop of a hat. So there's a little bit of that pre-work there in terms of, do you have the right data? Do you have the right access to it in order to make those speedier decisions that aren't created in haste, but you know that you have that data to make a decision at the drop of a hat versus you know, running at the last minute to understand the organization that you could have understood better up front. So an example that everybody is aware of is, when Silicon Valley Bank fell, how did businesses really assess the impact to themselves and the actions that they needed to take? Those that had their workforce data in a platform that would allow them to rapidly model different scenarios, identify where there was opportunity to remove costs rapidly and ensure that cash flow would cover their cost base, people with that information at the hand were far more able to demonstrate control and stability than those who are having to take drastic actions in the hope that it reduces the risk of cash being tied up in the bank. Um, we also talk about reviewing your decision hygiene, which is a concept that comes from the book Noise by Daniel Kahneman and uh, Olivia Sibini and Cass Sunstein. And these are consistent 
preventative measures we put in place uh, to make sure that people are driving to a decision and reducing noise and improving human judgments. So for example, what we do is we, we work with our clients to make sure that when different people are trying to drive to a decision, instead of assigning it to just one person, get everyone to make their judgments independently and then aggregate those. And what this means for HR is that they can enable the business to make fast but thoughtful decisions. And this can be having your workforce data in, as I mentioned, an accessible format available when and where needed um, so that you're not running um, at the last minute and make sure that, you know, if you're making those decisions that you're not cutting future skills and capabilities that are required. Yeah. I, I just want to check, David, really quickly is that decision hygiene is so critical in this, right? Speed is relative, but what we know is that the, the process of decision-making is usually six times more effective than the information itself. And these are external studies we use. We actually give our clients a quiz when we're going to working sessions with them, whether we're doing decision rights or not, to get them to focus and open up their mindset, which is organizations have a much higher rate of success if they're considering four plus more options, right? Even if they know, even if they know what they need to do, put every option on the table. In the Cuban Missile Crisis, I'll thank my uh, friend Michael Roberto, who's a PhD that writes about decision rights and, and decision bias all the time. You know, he'll remind folks that in the Cuban Missile Crisis, the blockade of ships was the worst idea out of the gate. <laughs> Everybody turned it down. But at the end of the day, when you looked at all of the options, it was the most plausible for the outcomes they were choosing, right? Equally, when you, you, know, you only need about four to six people to actively participate in the decision, everyone else there is a spectator, know that, and then communicate it through as many channels as you can, right? The, what's interesting about this is that organizations don't often go back and look at the performance around a decision, good or bad. They just look at the results that they're trying to track. That's the other thing we try and do with our clients in these, in these cases, particularly around economic stability, is put a marker out there for them that says, hey, let's go back and look at these decisions and whether or not they were good or bad or indifferent in driving the outcome so that we can get better when these sort of opportunities or challenges start to rise again in the marketplace and we can be more proactive. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, use data to inform decisions, but also use data to evaluate decisions. That's right. And, and, and human beings are designed to have a 50-50 shot in the best circumstance, and we like to make quick decisions. So it's important to take our time. Um, I don't want to say slow to go fast, but being efficient in that so that you're not missing anything um, and triggering any sort of confirmation bias, leadership bias, or others that can factor into those decisions. Let's pause for a short moment and give a big thank you to our sponsors of this series. At a time when economic uncertainty is ever-present, business leaders need to make quick, data-driven decisions with confidence. As the leading organizational design and workforce planning software platform, OrgView captures the power of data visualization and modeling to give leaders the actionable insight and analysis they need. OrgView is used by the world's largest and best-known enterprises and management consulting firms to build more adaptable, better-performing organizations. See tomorrow's business today with OrgView. To find out more, visit orgview.com. That's O-R-G-V-U-E dot com. So 
what does this mean for for HR? Most of the listeners to this podcast are, are working in HR. You know, whether you're an HR leader working in people analytics, workforce planning, or design areas. What does what does all this mean for how HR should operate? In my mind, I think that HR professionals should be thinking proactively, thinking proactively about what is the data that they need, where can that be accessible to them, so that they can be thinking ahead of the game. Um, a lot of business leaders, functional leaders, have come to HR with a request. Um, well, a lot of my clients, a lot of organizations then struggle to piece together, where is that available? How can I hobble together the information to make a thoughtful, informed decision? As I mentioned, increasingly in a faster and faster turnaround time, this is obviously less than ideal. And what we'd like to see is make sure that sort of say, hey, here are at least the table stakes, you know, data, table stakes, levers that I have at my disposal Sure, I might need to go gather additional data in order to help that business leader make an informed decision or create a decision um, that I can help them execute on. But I think that's that's imperative. And we're seeing more organizations um, and more HR functions playing a larger role in that and taking a more proactive approach to building that into their functions. And I guess a lot of it is about good consulting skills, frankly. It's, it's, it's knowing the business. It's being able to uh, interact with, with senior stakeholders, both in HR, but actually more so in the business as well. Um, you know, be able to influence. You know, be able to you know really understand what the question is and the data and the data that, that you need to answer that particular question. And actually, that leads nicely to to the next um, question, Don. You know, if we look at decision making through the lens of a consultancy, you know, what are the common mistakes that Deloitte sees sees in the market? Oh wow! Where do do we have enough time? No, uh, just kidding, David. I, I I would say that there's a couple, and I'll I'll uh, tack on to what Jesse said. Not only is it important for um, HR professionals to understand that pragmatism around the process actually outweighs the information, but also being proactive means to have those you know those data platforms, you know, be it OrgView or Workday or y- you name it, right? Uh, to always have information handy and at the ready, right? So when we're thinking about um, you know organizations how they're performing, there's some pretty simple um, sort of metrics that we can look at to have at the ready to to inform clients or be ready um, for these conversations. Number one, if we're looking at layoffs or restructuring, right, you always want to know you know where your folks are from a performance management perspective. However, you you do that process, right? Where are your low performers? Where are folks that are on performance improvement plans? Right? Are those folks that have the critical skills that Jesse talked about, right? That may be able to be repositioned and improve performance, but also help the organization grow. That's typically an area that you know HR can always have a tab on, right? To be thinking about proactively if if the if the business is performing well or not, and how to you know really push on what do we what do we do about these workforce segments. The other areas, right? That you know having a platform can be helpful. Uh, you know, understanding like OrgView Workday is around span of control, right? Span of control around where do we see low spans of control, high spans of control? Is that you know really where we want to be driving the business? Now, doing that without context is a common mistake that we see clients do all of the time. Uh, and and Jesse will start to smile here because the other side of it is also benchmarking, right? Clients will pay uh, a lot of money to do studies around. Well, my span of control average in finance is six to one. Tell me what the benchmarks are for other organizations that have finance organizations that my size or industry. Well, six to one doesn't really do anything. You know, I know that um, 
you know, in SpaceX, right, a lot of trial and error, Elon Musk has not come out and said, boy, that 6.4 to 1 ratio of span of control is why we got the, the rocket off the pad, right? So you really under, need to understand the context. So one way of doing that, it, it, HR professionals can look at is supervisory burden, right? Think of this as the actual human conditions that are creating, you know, what it takes to manage that span of, of individuals, the interconnectivity of the work that's being managed or not, the repetitive repetitiveness of that work, right? The differentiate the differentiation in skills and capabilities. You know, someone may have a span of control 10 to 1, but the supervisory burden is actually 6 to 1, which means that that uh, individual is under duress. And at Deloitte, we actually have algorithms that, you know, can work with, you know, platforms like OrgView and others to start to identify that. And if you think about that as a, a supervisor's blood pressure in managing work, oftentimes that can signal an area where we can start to make some changes in efficiency because only 9% of organizations create enough capacity proactively to take on growth and innovation. The rest of them work as many of us do, right? They react to an event happening. They take action on it after consideration. And only if a meeting is canceled, right, do they get a chance to actually think, well, was that the right thing to do? How do we get prepared for the next, for the next go? So, you know, those are a lot of things that we think about that are, you know, uh, opportunities where not only, um, you know, I would say common mistakes in the market from a consultancy perspective, but all for also for our clients. At Deloitte, we're very much into now helping our clients understand the context of organizations. Why did they make decisions? Why for a time did Netflix have two CEOs? And we'll show you that organization. We'll talk to, you know, clients or others that have served in those organizations and paint a picture. Because at the end of the day, if you're making decisions around, you know, if it's economic solvency or growth, you want to be able to look at the context of why other organizations made a decision and say, what's best for us, right? Because anybody can replicate a strategy, but it's very hard for other competitors to replicate your purpose and your culture and your true, you know, aspirations for growth. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And and, and staying with you, Don, you know, what advice would you give listeners to build an adaptable and future-proof workforce? And, and how do you use organizational design and, and workforce planning to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So the first I would think of is, you know, always be, if I'm an HR professional, I have access to this data and information, always want to be looking for um, either redundancies or overlaps and opportunities to be more efficient, right? And that's not just spans and layers. We, we think about being smart around uh, how to organize and, and operate and behave in, uh, in five layers, right? So we're looking for opportunities to be more efficient or, or, or less, um, what I would say, less complicated at the individual level, right? At the work level, at the team level, at the leader level, and then in the organization. That could be finance. That could be the organization writ large. And then the last is the ecosystem. So if you're an organ, if you're a function within an organization, that ecosystem could be those functions that you partner with inside your company as well as the vendors or customers if you're the if you're the organization on the whole uh it's an ecosystem play for us in our relationship with orgview you know we have some solutions that we've created around network analysis and others on how people collaborate but that's because we don't see a lot of folks using it we believe that that's an area where if, if more hr organizations and and clients had a access to network analysis they can actually understand how teams uh, collaborate, make decisions, how they team together. But for us in our ecosystem, we don't want to be doing scenario modeling products, right? So we partner with 
uh, Orgview in a strategic alliance that helps us do that, right? So we're being efficient and we're also helping um, and amplifying the impact we can provide to clients. The next is around, you know, thinking about those five dimensions of value that we talked about earlier and, and the data that we just walked through and always be looking out for how to be hyper-responsive to market needs, right? So looking at those networks of teams, looking at the barriers or the supervisory burden that can be identified through the flow of work, uh, to use design thinking to enable the workers themselves from various parts of the organization to self-identify, hey, there's a, there's a little bit of an issue here on how we can work uh, faster together, right? It's always important to balance you know, how adaptable we can be with also how efficient we need to be, right? Some organizations aren't necessarily set up for you know, being able to work in a network-based team concept. They, they work better in traditional spans and layers and hierarchy, and that's fine. But you know, we can model multi-hierarchical structures with people mapped to you know, different teams, right? Clients can show different data sets showing that, hey, look, this is our org structure. But if I was to map folks to a value stream of how we do work using tools like OrgView or, or others, um, you, know, you can start to see how teams are working together and how is that workforce mix looking? Does that meet the financial planning goals of finance or our, our perspective on workforce mix being both inside you know, the organization or as my colleagues talk about on balance sheet or off? Right. Um, we know that you know some organizations adopt an agile at scale model, looking at um, you know their operating models you know across and and starting to do network based teams at the enterprise level. Now, for those particularly uh, you know uh, foundations do a great job in this because their missions are around things like reducing truancy at school, finding uh, jobs for parents, and then also making just kids' lives better as they raise them. Right. These are multifaceted but also highly connected issues. When they're uh, working and, and organizing at scale in an agile-based concept, they can see things like 50% reduction in delivery costs, which is really important for foundations, or uh, you know multiple uh, increases in delivery time around supporting those events. So you know those are some of the things that I would think about. Right? Is you know and whether it's it's a time of economic uncertainty like we're living through now, or a time of growth, it's about thinking how do we organize, operate, behave at the individual team, leader, org, and ecosystem level, and what are we really after, right? Are we after the financial value, the product or service value that we're delivering, that customer experience, the the supply chain nature of it, or agility? Because it can't be everything all at once, and as much as I love the movie Spinal Tap and turn it to 11, right, we can't be chasing everything. Giving our clients that focus and giving their employees that focus helps them make better decisions to reduce the impact of an economic uh, downturn and the layoffs that could ensue. One thing you, you mentioned, um, Don, I'd love to explore a bit further is that you talk about some of the companies that you're working around doing more network analysis and understanding how people collaborate within teams, but between teams as well. And if we think about the context of hybrid work, is, it, is that something you're seeing more companies that you're working with really starting to embrace now? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's increasing quite a bit with the availability of the information David, that folks have, right? Whether it's through Microsoft Teams that collects a lot of that information, right? A lot of folks are on those platforms, but also those that have seen it um, through different interactions, right? We've done it. We've done hybrid work uh, analyses using network analysis at the early outset of the pandemic uh, for large agriculture, uh, fruit agriculture companies that work globally. But, you know, these are folks out in 
fields, right, growing crops at the same time, you know, both in the U.S. or in Europe and others, and how do they work together and how do they find uh, the the effective blend of working together, not only uh, in those disparate locations, but also when do they need to come together and when don't they? The other critical part about this in network analysis, um, and this comes to good effective decision-making, is workforce risk, right? So we may have identified populations that may not be able to continue with us in an organization. However, looking at a network analysis, we might be you know, identifying someone who's a critical knowledge broker for a third of the organization. And if we remove that, right, we need to be fully, you know, fully prepared for what sort of implications that could mean. Or does that mean we need to revisit the decision equally? We can identify areas of supervisory burden, which may mean, hey, we don't actually need to make a hierarchical shift but we do need to be shifting the decision rights such that the organization can move more quickly in how they perform to mitigate future you know, economic impacts to the team. Yeah, pretty interesting. We could probably do a whole episode on that alone, to be honest with you. We could. And, and actually, one of, the, one of the reasons why you mentioned more people are, are looking at network analysis now is, is the, the, technology, the availability of the data, but also the technology that supports it. And and Jesse, turning to you, you know what what part does data driven insight play, and 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 where does technology help or or even hinder? Yeah, so obviously, as we discussed, I mean, technology accelerates decision making immensely. Organizations today have more access to more data, and it's critical that they have these powerful technologies that let them harness both the the data's full potential, but also, to your point, using it in a strategic and a, a measured manner. So there's several tools on the market that enable you to visualize, analyze, and model organizational and workforce data. As you know, we partner with Orview, which helps our clients and teams by being able to see across their entire organization, uh, model through multiple lenses, think about activities, skill sets, the availability of talent, where that talent is located, as well as headcounting cost. And then model and remodel at a pace that is allows you to get immediate feedback on how that might impact key design drivers like cost and the talent availability. I've had a lot of clients in the past where they haven't taken a skills-based organization approach, and they were actually quite surprised to find out that the skills and capabilities they needed resided in another business unit, in another location, and then come up with a model of how can they tap into that to deliver on some of their, their future state growth objectives. The other thing we leverage up for is it's really tracking how you're progressing against your plan. So Don mentioned this too. It's not just about making those moves or understanding that, but over a period of time, how are you progressing against those goals? And how do you then kind of, you know, reiterate or revisit the plan if circumstances change, right? We know that we don't set a plan in motion, then everything in the next 12, 24, 36 months goes to plan. I think we've all learned that in the last three years. Um, so how do you leverage technology to make sure this is not something that is, you know, oh, done and dusted. We come up with a great plan. 12 months later, you don't have a way to measure against the, those objectives. Another way that we leverage data and technology to drive greater insights for our clients is through, as Don mentioned, network analysis. So what I like and about network analysis and leverage my clients is that, sure, we have our HRS data. We can pull down the roles, the capabilities, the skill set that reside in certain organization or functions. However, network analysis allows us to really understand how is work actually being done today? Who is actually collaborating? You might have an organization chart sticks and boxes and roles, but 
Are you really only doing 50% of that work in your role today? 50% of it is being that knowledge broker that Don mentioned in another area, or you have these informal ties where groups of uh, individuals or even whole functions are going to certain areas for a capability, even though it's not built to actually deliver that capability. So network analysis uses you know this richer portion of sort of how the organization's actually operating today that allows us to drive future state decisions that could include, okay, maybe we actually do need to build this organization differently in the future and create a new role for that type of work, for that capability, or a new operating model that's allowed more people to access that institutional knowledge, capability, or skill set that is vital to our, our growth path. The other thing I just want to say is that obviously with data comes, you know, great, you know, responsibility. So data-driven insights are critical, but we need to really be careful about what data is being collected and how that's being used. Um, increasingly, you know, what's being shared with workers and with the era of sort of rising agency for talent of workers, workers are pushing for a higher degree of control over their data and how it's being used. The good news is that according to a recent study published in Harvard Business Review, about 90% of employees are willing to let their employees employers collect and use data about them and their work, but only if it benefits them in some way. So going back to what I mentioned about organizational network analysis, you can actually take some of those insights and formalize what's currently being done informally within the organization. And I think for HR professionals, that is a, a, a really, really leg up when they're looking about being those proactive sort of consultants or thought leaders to the business or functional leaders in the organization. That's a really good point. I mean, I saw exa an example a couple of years ago where a company had done network analysis. They were trying to understand the networking behaviors of high-performing salespeople and sales leaders, and they were able to use those findings and, and build that training in then for other sales uh, professionals within the organization and obviously to, ultimately to help them be more successful which is great for the sales profession was also great for the company as well successful sales people and you nailed it right there david and performance management is a massive opportunity for network analysis there what we find is that in traditional restructuring it's more of a helpful guide around identifying areas of risk and reconfirming the moves you're making but in performance management diversity, equity, and inclusion, and many other areas around how the experience is actually happening or on how people get their work done or you know, who they're interacting with, that is where network analysis is exponentially impactful. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career.
we're seeing it in some of the work we're doing at Insight 222 with, with people, analytics teams, and you're probably seeing this too with the companies you're working with at Deloitte, that, that more HR teams are looking to take on more responsibility in the areas around workforce planning, org design, and, uh, uh, and everything, and, but looking for help in building these capabilities. You know, what guidance can you give to HR professionals or maybe HR, CHROs that are looking to build their capabilities in this area? Yeah, certainly. I mean, as as Don mentioned, I think we're seeing this 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 shift due to the, the pandemic and everything that's um, disrupted work over the last couple of years. That companies are trying to be more proactive, less reactive. Um, organizational change is inevitable for most companies, and it's becoming increasingly important to build at least some in-house organization design or strategy capabilities. And we believe that HR should be actively engaged in those strategy discussions with the business to do so, not only because they have that access to HRS data, um, understand their functional areas or the PUs or the players that they support, but really because this is an area that I think is ripe for transformation in terms of thinking about change as just an event that occurs and versus a series of transformations, whether that be a pandemic, whether that be a market uh, conditions, or whether that be the, the the skills gap or the the battle for talent that we see out there in certain industries. So, in addition to helping clients with a specific organization design initiative, we at Deloitte we're we're starting to help more and more clients create and scale their own org design capabilities. So, what we advise HR professionals to do in this space, and where we think is a prime place for them to play is upscaling to better understand sort of the areas where HR might be best suited to act as a thought partner to the business. So be that through those data-driven insights or best practices in organizational design. Um, Getting equipped with those right tools that we've talked about here to, to form those insights and deliver on outcomes. And then lastly, taking this sort of proactive and non-event based approach to conducting periodic what we call health scans of the organization to preemptively adjust the talent, skills, or organizational layers based on the needs of the business at that given moment. So again, you, we think about organizations in terms of obviously living, breathing, you know, people are going to be, you know, exiting and entering the organization for different reasons throughout the course of business. Um, but how do you get ahead of sort of, hey, if we're looking at my functional or my BU's growth objectives of new t- over the next two or three years, how can I start to map out where I'm going to need skills or capabilities? What do I have today? What's my strategy to go after those in the future? That's not something that needs to be done once the board or once the CEO comes and says, okay, now's the time to do it. You should already be thinking about what you have at your disposal. Where do you have your gaps? Working with those leaders to do that. It's going to position HR professionals, I think, as a much stronger thought partner to the to the organization and really transform the ways that they think about supporting the business yeah yeah couldn't agree more um don what what advice can you give our listeners and it's probably linked to some of the stuff that jesse's just talked about there our our listeners on how they can deliver value and impact to the business in in the current climate number one they don't have to do it alone one of the reasons i'm in my position now around managed capabilities is a personal passion I have where, you know, we talked about niche skills still being an issue, right? A lot of these things we're talking about, David, are event-based, right? 
org design, restructuring, event-based, but they can always be on, right? If these HR organizations and their business colleagues have ongoing capabilities internally, but they don't just have to do that themselves, right? So I would I would ask those HR leaders to say, look, there are organizations like Deloitte, like others that provide on-demand or always-on managed capabilities that can ramp up and ramp down so that you're not churning as well through those events, right? Whether that's change or org design or ramping up or, or workforce planning. So a lot of the work that Jesse and I are focused on right now is doing org and workforce planning as a service to supplement HR leaders and teams. And we've done this uh, in the Australia market and Europe and in the US as well in all sorts of different areas so that the organization itself can have that core fundamental understanding of org and workforce planning or org design. But then they also have that niche skill uh, power that they pay just like a streaming service that can often be at the same cost or just a little bit of premium to move quickly and always have that there, right? Because that is the other, you know, th- that type of investment that organizations can make then reduces, you know, the roller coaster ride. Now, I like roller coasters, but here we want boring roller coasters, right? We want these to be speed humps. Investing in those capabilities as part of your workforce ecosystem is something we recommend clients to consider, not just in org design, but in other areas. So they always have those capabilities on so they can signal that demand to, you know, to their to their business partners. The other questions that I think that, you know, I, I would, or advice I could give to our listeners is, you know, are you challenging your leaders on their North Star, their aspirations for the business and making sure that those things are communicated broadly, but also communicate it saying, what does that mean for our future organization? How can you help? By putting it in the frame of the individual or the team or the leader, right? You'll start to see more organizations take and, and teams take a design thinking approach to, hey, we can actually make these changes to follow our North Star, right? And then when they get stuck, it's not that they're bringing every decision to the to the top of the house. They're bringing really tough things that need to be unpacked depending on that North Star or conflict around certain initiatives. Also, challenge, you know, as HR professionals, I, I always recommend to make sure that we and our and our business counterparts have a full understanding of how our resources are aligned across different value streams of our organization. I always point out HP that does an annual org and operations reconciliation every year, which looks at, you know, how do, what is the cost centers of the organization? How are those forming? But what was the organic growth of the workforce? And then re- reallocating that based on what, you know, what actually happened right? And then re- redesign the organization and matching that up with supply and demand. So, you know, if we if we look at if resources are too far from the delivery or the front of the house on core products, how are they driving value and are they deployed correctly? The third thing would be, you know, do we have the right uh, information, um, whether it's organ workforce planning analytic solutions or the right uh, data in place that can inform running the organization today and prepare us to get future ready. One of the other reasons that Jesse and I are doing a lot of work in that managed capability space around org design is we find a lot of clients in analysis paralysis. Our data is not perfect, Jack. We can't do it. Well, you only need 20% of the information, right, to go the next step and then dig in deeper, right? So let's not let perfect be the enemy of good, right? Do you have anything? Do you have an ecosystem? And by working with folks that provide those managed services, we can do some of that for you. So you're acting on the insights and the opportunities, and then we can figure out how do you build out that ecosystem of technology? Because let's be honest, technology purchases can be relatively straightforward. Vendors can give you a quote, you're off to the races, but it's how you need to organize around that. 
So make sure that you're, you're thinking about that. And then the last is, you know, do we have that org or workforce planning capability? And at what maturity level um, uh, do we have it so that we can support the organization for, you know, design in restructuring or in the flow of business? And if we don't have it, how do we want to go about uh, using that, right? Do we want to work with, you know, uh, companies that can provide on-demand benchmarking and you know, periodic health checks, as Jesse stated, so that we can have folks do the, uh, you know, do the analysis for us and we can go take action, right? And HR organizations and some of the best ones I've ever worked with, they are excellent at putting, you know, plans into action and driving the organization to the timelines. Uh, but sometimes it's hard, as we talked about that 9%, being able to focus on extra things and in innovation or growth to actually have that information and constantly looking at it and stewarding it. That's where we can come in and others to help there. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, though. Finally, I, I can't believe we've already got to the end of the conversation, but you know, th this is a question that we're asking everyone um, in this series, Don. You know, and again, it probably allow you to to maybe um, summarize some of the some of the points that you've already made. What do you think HR leaders need to be thinking about most in the next twelve to twenty four months, and what do you see as maybe the biggest concern that you're seeing when you when you're talking with clients, and and what do you see as the biggest opportunity? Yeah, I think my biggest concern is that in the face of uncertainty, you know, we're going to see a lot of organizations be tempted to make the reactive cuts, right, to reduce costs that we've seen again and again and again. Um, and so it's really about, you know, advocating and communicating to refocus on the mission and purpose and, right, the, the economic decisions that you need to make to make sure that you're taking a balanced view. Uh, we may see in you know less than 24 months we're on the we're on the rise in growth again, and it would be you know really detrimental in a world where uh, your employer brand can be you know can be uh, uh, negatively impacted just by how organizations are reducing its workforce. And I say specifically how right uh, those things may have more lasting impacts. I think the biggest opportunity is refocusing on helping the organization understand its mission and purpose at the leader team and individual level around the work and skills and creating that you know organizational resilience and flexibility and and really instilling that in them and i think hr is perfectly positioned to be able to do that jesse what what thoughts do you have yeah i i i think that's spot on i know we've we've covered a lot of ground here over the last uh the last hour or so but uh i i'm really excited about sort of helping our clients and HR professionals specifically think about how they can be those strategic thought partners. Um, as Don said, always been very acute, like executing, building together the plan. I think with some of the ways in technology and some of the things we're, we're delivering in the market with our clients today, helping them be a little bit more proactive, um, less reactive, which I think is where technology has really helped sort of like limit the time to do that everyone always says you know it's great to be proactive not reactive but my constraints are time resources all the other things i have on my plate if you can set up a a, a manner whether it's good as organizational health checks whether it's using a technology in order to like always have that data that you know is there and accessible to you and your teams um i think that's key so laying that foundation having a plan to do that makes you able to sort of like make those, as we said at the, at the top of the hour, those strategic decisions with speed. 
versus just a decision at speed, um, which I think we both know which of those you'd, you'd prefer if you're, uh, if you're a business going through uh, a transformational event. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, if our HR professionals can always challenge us on what value are we chasing, David, right? Are we after the financial, the product or service, the customer experience, the, you know, the, the ease of distribution, agility? And can you explain to me, leader or leaders, what that means for our individuals, our teams, for us as leaders in the Oregon ecosystem? Um, I don't want to say this, but I'll say it, you know, you'll be surprised how many of them can answer that clearly. Um, but that's okay. That's your role, right? Is to draw those out because those gaps need to be defined and communicated because at the end of the day, folks need to show up and understand what it means for them. Uh, and when you do that, then it makes the design decisions much more clear, uh, not maybe where to design, but probably where not to design. And that's really important. No, great, great way to, to, to end, um, what, what I found an absorbing conversation. So hopefully listeners will as well. Uh, Don, Jesse, thank you both for being guests on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Can, can you let listeners know how they can get in touch, follow you on social media if you do that, and find out more about your work at Deloitte? Don, I'll come to you first. Sure. Well, you can uh, you can easily find us on uh, Deloitte.com by searching for uh, our practice, which is the Organizational Strategy Design and Transition uh, Practice at Deloitte. Um, we'll make sure, David, you have the link. But in, in lieu of that, you can find Jesse and us being very active on LinkedIn, uh, where we drive and, and engage with our clients daily. Brilliant. Well, thank you both very much for being on the show and uh, hopefully look forward to meeting you in person uh, one day, maybe at a, a conference coming near you. Well, I've got, uh, yeah, Jesse's part of the Commonwealth. He's Canadian and uh, I've got uh, cousins that live in the UK. So maybe sooner than you think, David. Maybe sooner than you think. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank thanks both of you for being on the show. Thank you very much, David. Pleasure. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. And many thanks again to Don and Jesse for taking the time to share their invaluable insights on creating a future-proof workforce. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast And you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. Bye for now. And we will see you in a couple of weeks where I'll be joined by Ashish Sharma, Vice President of Workforce Intelligence at Raytheon Technologies. See you then and take care.